let's just move down and ask a few questions. I don't know if, if the panel want to start on anything, but can I just kickstart with uh, Michael Simons? You've, you're, you sit there in a top university in the United States, so you might see things in terms of the fact that as a researcher, you have early access to treatment. But could you just give your viewers as a sort of US clinician about the step that beyond the early evidence base, it's looking good, What's, what's going on in the United States that will, ex, will ex speed up early adoption of what is potentially a very useful technology? Well, um, that's, obviously, that's obviously a very complex issue because what is going to be impacted uh, uh, largely is by cost. And the balance here is, 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 is unlike this country. Um, we, have an active, we, have, we have an active competition uh, uh, for, for, for actual for sort of actual patients, so if you have access to new toys and uh, new things that will get you new patient that will get you new patients or the populations, it's a, you know it's obviously it's obviously how we build it's, it's obviously how we build you know programs. It's how you can say that um, how, that your place is different uh, is different from somebody next door who can do uh, more sort of routine stuff. And, but that is changing now because uh, because the cost of because the cost of care um, is becoming a very significant issue, both in terms of the money that are coming to us back, and uh, and the cost to us of using of using these new of using these new tools, and um, and the balance between these two forces uh, uh, is changing. And I think we have entered a very uncertain times where we actually don't know. In the past, it was very easy. It was very easy to decide if you're going to do something new, you would because it was almost almost always economically beneficial. But now it's a hard call, and I think it will become harder uh, as the payment systems change. Uh, Mirella, can I just? Uh, I, I was a bit provocative in my talk, for which I apologise, but. Um, uh, there was quite a lot of discussion yesterday about the need to move away about, in terms of some of the evidence from uh, mortality-based evidence to quality of life and patient preference evidence. Ha have NICE got a program to uh, deal with that? Uh, or is it going to be fixated on a quality program that's dominated by mortality and hard clinical endpoints? Okay. Um we're very used to evaluating medical devices and diagnostics. We designed some um, kind of unique features uh, into our new medtech programs that I was mentioning earlier, including um, a method that enables us to look at, um, uh, and, and I mentioned that, that example of the exogen where that's about non-inferior products that release resources. And so you, you know, our guidance talks about um, the amount of money that you save by by adopting a good quality product. Now, where um, incremental costs are involved, we use you know our sort of classic uh, cost utility analysis. But um, you know, I'm not aware of very many of our uh, appraisals that are based on you know an endpoint of simply mortality, and um, you know that probably not going to be a particularly helpful type of um, approach for uh, commissioners and other payers in deciding 
what to buy. So absolutely, um, you know, each, uh, as you saw, I sort of showed you into the bowels of an evaluation seeing, you know, we would use the sort of classic um, pick-o-table type approach and in order to determine the decision problem on each evaluation. And, um, you know, for something like TAVI, for example, you know, there are a whole range of very important um, outcomes. And that, when I talked about, you know, that generic thing that, um, you know, you insert into a surgically risk-based um, population and it's got adverse effects of, implement, of implanting it and it's to avoid a later risk, I think that was probably TAVI I was thinking of. Um, it's very, uh, that's a very sort of complex interaction of, of outcome, both sort of short, short, medium and long-term outcomes and um, patient, the impact on patient quality of life uh, is highly, highly important. But all of those are, you know, it's not cost-effectiveness or um, patient outcome, patient-focused outcomes. Cost-effectiveness is calculated on the basis of incorporating uh, patient quality of life and patient views of the health state that they are in before and after the procedure um, and the effects of that on the uh, cost effectiveness is very sort of central to NICE's methods. So we think we've got, you know, good quality, robust methodology for evaluating pretty much um, whatever you put at us. And I actually think that the... Um, the, the the bigger question is that some of the stuff that, that you were exploring, Mark, which is about the point at which you feel um, the uncertainty is removed sufficiently for full adoption and coverage without any sort of fuss. And I think, you know, whatever NICE says, because we're evaluating, or certainly um, TAVI, for example, would be a product where there are additional costs being um, in introduced into the healthcare system, as you uh, rightly commented, it's those additional costs into the healthcare system that are a problem in constrained times. And all we can do at NICE is say, you know, is this a, a clinically effective product and a cost-effective product for, for um, introducing? What we can't do, unfortunately, is remove the problem that you, you know, you may actually be increasing the spend in order to get that additional quality. But what we will be able to say is, is that um, additional cost worth it in terms of the additional benefit that it brings? But we can't solve that resource constraint problem. I'll just make a quick comment about this. You know, in the transcatheter decision in the U.S. called Coverage with Evidence Development, the, the registry requirement for all patients to receive Medicare reimbursement. And part of those discussions, what the agency was really focused on was including a five-year quality of life outcomes in the registry reporting. And so the agency has said that, well, after, you know, three years or so, we're going to reevaluate the decision and we're going to look very specifically at the quality of life outcomes that have been captured in the TBT registry. Uh, and we're going to link those to our Medicare beneficiary records to see if actually they really resulted in, in, in something meaningful. So are we seeing less hospitalizations? Are we seeing less better health, et cetera? And so it'll be very interesting to see, but they were very, very clear about that as one of the most important measures uh, in the TBT registry collection. 
I mean, I think that's really important that there has to be joined up thinking and communication so that we actually do design registries appropriately because to design a registry, you have one go at it and uh, to keep, keep getting iterations of it is extremely difficult. We've, we've got three um, UK clinicians on the panel and one academic, which I'll, I'll come to in a minute, Anthony. Um, well, a couple of academics. But um, uh, Mark and uh, Mike and Andreas, uh, this gap that we have between early, very interesting data and trying to get things happening, you've all had frustrating experiences. What, what would you like to see as the sort of single biggest move that we can make to try and make things move a little happier and, and quicker? Well, well, first of all, I think the commissioning through evaluation project is a very good one. If it's implemented properly and uh, there is sufficient funding to allow <coughs> new technologies to enter that program when, when they're developed. Because as I pointed out yesterday, I think often the CMARC process itself is far too low a bar to allow devices to be fully marketed mm. in, in Europe. And I think that's been part of the problem, is that once a device has had a CE mark, it has often been marketed without enough emphasis on then developing or getting the data to demonstrate its real efficacy and cost effectiveness. But I think the key is whether there will be sufficient funding to allow these programs to continue and whether the exit strategies from the Commission through evaluation are going to be appropriate so that there'll be sufficient time to allow the, enough data to be collected to make a rational decision about whether to go to full commissioning or to decommission. Uh, Andreas, Mark, do you have, uh, have a view? Well, I think, yeah, I just uh, need to, to, to say that it is rather frustrating uh, working in the UK and, and not getting access to technology for your patients that is widely used in, in France and, and, and Germany. Uh, let's talk about the Mitra clip and the renal innovation, uh, all these things. So I think commissioning through evaluation could be, if it, if it then works, uh, a very useful uh, step to to increase the speed uh, in which we we can uh, use new technology uh, in our patients here. Um, you know, I've got great hopes for it. Um. I'd agree with uh, what everybody said. I mean, I think the commissioning through evaluation takes a new step forward for us. For example, with the technology renal denovation, we've kind of got stuck in the UK because although uh, our health technology appraisal organization from National Institute of Health Research were willing to do a trial, because it was not reimbursed within the health service, there was no prospect of taking that trial forward. And so that meant there was a, a lost opportunity for um, the academic industry partnership to move this forward at a faster rate. So commissioning through evaluation offers uh, the opportunity to plug that gap. Uh, I suspect increasingly uh, what we are going to need to do is to work together internationally to design our registries so there's some degree of harmonization within them. And uh, I mean, that some of that already exists because we're thinking about things in often broadly similar ways. If we can harmonize more of our registries, we can embed some of the real world type data collection that was described uh, by Perry at the end there. And I also think that actually those registries can be a, a unique opportunity. So for example, in something like renal denovation, here we have a potential problem arising with one technology. We don't know the details, so we can't say too much about it uh, yesterday. Um, but, but there are other technologies in the market. 
What is the incentive in that setting for industry to create a head-to-head -head comparison? Where will we get that data? I suspect if we construct our registries well, that's where we'll get that data. And Mark, the final thing before we um, close this session, um, this business about trying to get people at very high levels talking together so that we're working on programs yeah. simultaneously, both Mark and if Anthony, you might want to say you've, you've got a product that's coming through. At, at which point would you want things evaluated and how would you want it evaluated in a way that actually brings all of these things together? Mark, Mark first and then Anthony. So, so I, think, I think once you've got to the initial RCT, uh, you would want to be thinking about how you would plan that evaluation. Uh, clearly, they, that may not give enough confidence and evidence to anybody for us to allow that to go into a commissioning through evaluation process. But it has done in the case of the four uh, procedures that you mentioned for cardiovascular, where the data is relatively low at the moment. And I think that is a step forward because it does allow us to apply other funding streams to do things that perhaps the companies themselves are, are not going to do because they can uh, do 7,000 procedures worldwide without having to do that. Yeah, so I think in the example that we gave yesterday, the sooner the better. So getting, um, you know, big names in the room to sort of work out how we're going to get through the regulatory process at an early early stage is key because that's going to completely shape the project of combined technologies and, um, in the device that we're talking about. The, um, so the sooner the better. The, the final thing I, I wanted to say, though, is that the slight elephant in the room is the issue to do with academia uh, driving innovation. And I say God forbid, but from a university perspective, you might put it the other way around. What you don't want to be is in the situation we're in, where you have discovered something that has no IP associated with it, but could change the lives of patients. Because what we haven't discussed is what on earth you do as an academic if you have that discovery uh, in your hands. So, for instance, we have phase two clinical trial data um, that is very impressive. We know that the technology has no IP that can be associated with it, um, but has obviously had to go through a regulatory process to do the trials. Uh, and we have a patient group that wants it. Um, so even though you explain to them, well, actually what you need to do is a phase three, um, and you need to start going through process, they say, no, we, we mm. think we, we would like to benefit from what we've seen of the patients in the trial. And as an academic with no ability to interact with industry over this, there doesn't seem to be a mechanism in the UK to deliver this new treatment to patients or at least get it um, approved from a regulatory perspective. You could say, well, you know, we just heard the charities this morning talking about uh, the abundance of funding. Well, this technology wouldn't fit for eye for eye, which seemed to have the best approach to it. The British Heart Foundation are spending 7.3 million on devices on several projects. That wouldn't even pay for uh, perhaps a third of the phase three clinical trial that we need to do. So there's clearly not a mechanism. So I say, God forbid, although we want to drive innovation from the universities, it has to be an industry partnership. And I, I really don't know what to do uh, in this particular case where we don't have any IP, uh, but we have something that could benefit patients. So I think final industry perspective to you, Perry, and then we'll wrap up. Well, uh, I would say that on that particular note, uh, it's a very difficult challenge. Um, 
because if, if, if there's no way to monetize a particular discovery from, a, from an industry perspective, it's, uh, it's very difficult to, uh, to get investment. And um, I, I think we, we try to take a little bit of a, of a different approach in, in our thinking, um, but um, we've, we've somehow got to figure out a way. I'll just end with, with my thought about discussions at the higher, higher level. Um, you know, I, I don't know how effective those are at the end of the day. Um, um, my experience is that, that those are important, uh, particularly with individuals like we have in the room here, certainly to keep it front and center, but really I think it's the, it's the middle management uh, of the regulatory agencies um, that really needs to be continually educated uh, and, and interacted with um, in order to, to make and affect real change. Um, and there needs to be what we call, you know, both bottoms up and top down, down approach to that. And if you just go from the top, I, I don't think that's an effective strategy for change. So on that slightly gloomy note, I'm going to hand over to John Martin and to Michael Simons to wrap up the meeting. But thank you very much to the panel for this particular session. Thanks.